Welcome to Coming Out the Pod with me, Ed Connell, the podcast where members of the LGBTQ community share their coming out stories with me. In this week's episode, I talked to Daily Telegraph journalist George Cooper. George talks about how he has found it difficult to work in the heterosexually dominated environment of news and sport journalism. He also talks about how when he was researching homophobia in football, he fell into the trap of looking to find and speak to professional gay players to tell their story, something which he now regrets. I sort of came at it from the point of view where I, I was sort of, you know, very keen to try to speak to, 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 to gay players or players who maybe hadn't come out yet. And, you know, I look back now and I think that really wasn't a constructive way to go about it, you know, and I think now it's something which I know to handle with a lot more sensitivity. As well as talking candidly about his own traumatic coming out experience, he talks about how he became addicted to online gambling and how telling his family about that was much more difficult than coming out to his gay. Well, hi, George. Thanks very much for uh, agreeing to speak with me. Uh, I should probably introduce you, first of all, and say that you're George Cooper. Um, yes. How, how do I describe your occupation, George? Uh, I would. I am a uh, digital content editor um, for the Daily Telegraph newspaper. Um, um, how long have you been doing that for? So I've been doing that uh, since September 2018. And uh, before that, I've did a sort of variety of roles at the Telegraph since about 2014, um, sub-editing for the paper and a bit of stuff on the sports desk. Um, and then before that, I was at my local paper for about six years. So journalism was what, always the intended career path? Um, it sort of happened by default, really. Um, I kind of did my A-levels and then couldn't really think of anything that I sort of particularly wanted to do. And I was always quite good at English and I was always sort of quite good at sort of I don't know, speaking um so kind of journalism was sort of the felt like the natural option um so yeah did a degree in journalism and then did a uh, what they called what's called the nctj which is the industry qualification and that was back in 2000 2008 and i imagine so, yeah. like all those sorts of sort of media parts of industry it's a uh, difficult careers to get into and what you start off by doing sort of unpaid work do you and try and get in that way yeah yeah it, it is a difficult industry to get into um certainly for young journalists um i started by doing work experience at my local paper which was the the brent and kilburn times um back in 2007 and on the ealing gazette as well i think which has since um since gone under um yeah uh, that that was unpaid work experience and, uh, uh, sadly, now local papers don't really seem to have the, the resources, you know, to, to take on uh, work experience kids. No, that's, that's sad and makes it, I imagine, very difficult people wanting to enter into that. Yeah, exactly. Um, we, we met, actually, um, once before, didn't we? Because... We did. In, in your capacity as a journalist, you came and spoke to me. Um, yes. I can't remember when it was, I'm afraid. I remember we met, I think Victoria Station had a coffee to talk about... Was yeah. it not who you were writing? It, it was, uh, yes, it was. It was on homophobia in football, um, I believe. Um, it was for a series of articles that the, that the Telegraph published uh, about four years ago, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I was doing quite a lot of research on that. And since then, obviously, there's been a lot more coverage of homophobia in football and it's now, you know, um, 
there's now sort of I think every Premier League now uh, club has got a, an LGBT fan group. Yeah, um, the media coverage now is is, is very extensive. Uh, you've got things like the Rainbow Laces campaigns and sort of the offshoots from that. Um, so I think we're in a much better place now with that than we were, you know, sort of back even sort of three or four years ago. Yeah, I think four years ago was kind of. Uh, almost like a tipping point in terms of media awareness of sort of homophobia, particularly in football. Yeah. We were just getting to that stage where it was becoming quite complex to read about it in, in the newspapers. And um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I gave sort of several sorts of interviews like that, really, talking from my position as, as I was then chair of the um, Gay Football Supporters Network. Yes. Giving yeah. you, I think, our insight into the issue of homophobia in football. But uh, yeah. And it's interesting. I sort of cringe slightly when I look back now because I sort of came at it from the point of view where I, I was sort of, you know, very keen to try to speak to, to 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 gay players or players who maybe hadn't come out yet. And you know, I look back now and I think that really wasn't a constructive way to go about it. You know, and I think now it's something which I know to handle with a lot more sensitivity. Um, you know, particularly as a gay man. You know, I. Um, you know, I think I think sort of it's important to empathise with people uh, in terms of coming out, um, and I think the sections of the media are quite good at that. But then sections of the media aren't very good at that, and they're still obsessed. Particularly the tabloids, you still have an obsession with, you know, outing gay players, and you know, you see the silhouettes on the front pages and all that, and it, it could be quite uh, quite regressive and quite damaging. I think we, we used to get lots of inquiries, and and unfortunately, some of the more salacious elements of the media were always mm. keen to ask us if we knew of any professional players throughout. Yeah. And and I think, yeah. as you say, I think that's changed a great deal. I think the media are much more responsible now, although sadly yeah. today, um, you know, usually at least once a year, there's a story about, uh, you know, someone who's supposedly going to come out and, and there's a bit of a witch. Yeah. We haven't quite got there yet, sadly, but it's definitely improved. Yeah. I mean, there was a story a few weeks ago, I forget which paper it was. It was an, it was a tabloid. Um uh, I think suggesting there was something, you know, sort of, you know, it was used sort of bog standard. There are 12 gay players in Premier League, um, you know, just waiting to come out. And the more you analyse the story, the more, well, the more I, I kind of thought, I do feel this is completely made up. I feel that, you know, there are no quotes attributed to, to anybody. Um, and it, it just feels like one of those stories that are just sort of put in to sort of, you know, as a sort of a sensational splash on the front page without any, without any, um, any substance to it. It's sad, really, because it kind of demonstrates as to why it is that players don't want to come out because there is this huge sensationalism about it. And whenever I'm asked about it, I always say, you know, why would mm. somebody who is open, you know, who's gay and thinking about mm. coming out as a professional football player, why on earth would they want to do it when they know their lives have come under such intense scrutiny? Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things, you know, I think almost everyone, when they, everyone when they come out, you just, you come out and then you just, you get on with it. You know, it's just, it's just one tiny moment in your life you know the last thing you want you know, like you say is people sort of clambering all over you trying to you know trying to put you in the spotlight and you know I can I can well see why gay players at the moment you know are, are reluctant or you know just downright refuse to come out and I think I would if I think if I was in their position I I think I'd want a bit more reassurance than I than I see at the moment um you know which is which is sad to say I think we're a long we're a long way towards an accepting environment um but i don't think we're there yet no i mean i'm afraid i'm a little bit more pessimistic than that actually i mean i was right. I did a radio interview uh, last year with a um 
think someone from the Midlands, and they were sort of saying, you know, do you think it's going to happen soon? And I said, you know, I'd love to yeah. say yes, but I think the honest answer, having sort of been involved in campaigning now for sort of over a decade, is I just yeah. don't think we're the, the environment's ready yet. It's definitely better than it was, but sadly, uh, yeah, not better. Do do you um did you get involved in sort of did you have an interest in that sort of article? because you're gay or was it something which the newspaper were going to cover anyway or how did you get involved in that um oh god i can't really remember i i i was interested in it because my my ex-boyfriend played football and still plays football um and i i met him back in 2010 when you know gay friendly football or lgbt friendly football in london was still quite small there was only a few teams and only a few players on the teams uh, and I sort of throughout the time I was with him, which was sort of six or seven years, I sort of witnessed the growth of, you know, uh, LGBT football from from teams like Stonewall, the London Titans, the London Falcons. And, you know, all of a sudden there are more and more of these teams coming up. And, and as that happened, I kind of, I just took more of a personal interest in it. And I, and I just thought my, my intention was as uh, as a gay man myself to try to speak to speak to these players and see if I could, reassure them that I'm going to try to tell their story sensitively. Um, what I found was that firstly, just nobody was willing to speak. Um, and the more I sort of tried to push it, the, the more uh, I kind of felt like the more damage it was doing. So in the end, it was just something which I decided just to leave alone because I just thought the time wasn't right. Um, and you end up really just uh, upsetting people. Um, but I mean, it's still something which I, which I'm, you know, I think every gay person, you, you do feel it quite personally. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's, I, I feel very sorry for players who, who, who are in that position because it's a, it's a difficult position to be in. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it was like. I mean, I, you know, you just go back to your sort of own coming out stories and, and for yeah. me, uh, you know, sort of having to conceal a part of my life from people for a little while and, and yeah. to imagine what it must be like to be in the public eye, having to be yeah. performing at the top of your game and have to you know, be using up that energy to yeah, your your true self. It must be it must be really tough indeed. But uh, it's and, it, and and I think what we forget, what we tend to forget as football fans, is when a player is going through a bad patch of form or you know isn't performing, and you know you, you just forget that they're human beings. You know, and there is a reason why. And I think you know you you never know what somebody's going through in their personal life. No, uh, absolutely. You know, and uh, yeah, they <laughs> they have to put up with an awful lot. Footballers, in that sense. Before I ask you about your your coming out story, um, just generally yeah. speaking, how uh, LGBT friendly has the world of journalism been in your experience? Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, it hasn't. I would say um, I found it tough actually. Oh, really? Uh, to to sort of to 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 kind of to be myself really ever ever from the word go. Um, you know. Uh, the paper I work at the moment, I'm going to be quite honest about this. The, the paper I work for at the moment have an LGBT uh, group. They have LGBT representation, but I find the newsroom to be, uh, you know, it's very male dominated. Um, it's quite, uh, I can't remember, I can't think of the word. It's, it's quite a masculine environment a lot of the time. And I don't feel that it's a particularly welcoming environment i don't think it's in any way threatening but i don't think it's a particularly inclusive environment uh for somebody who who is gay or, or lesbian or trans or you know uh, any other um part of the lgbtq plus community um 
I feel they they make certain gestures like there is you know certain you know pride week and that sort of thing and you'll see pride flags about the office but it is all in my view it's all from a heterosexual point of view um and it's not it doesn't make me feel, it doesn't make me feel included but like that it doesn't make me feel particularly comfortable talking about being gay in the office no, that's, to the that's point really, where, I, where i don't do it that's really concerning get bearing in mind we're in 2020 mm. and, I, and i guess for me, as a, someone who's not particularly familiar with the media industry, say that I have family and friends who work in television, mm. um, which I've always sort of seen as being a very inclusive and LGBT-friendly aspect of the media, it's troubling that there's still aspects of the media, such as journalism, where that hasn't been quite mm. the same environment. Yeah, um, it is surprising. Uh, and I suppose, you know, it's... It's not an easy thing to talk about because, it, you know, it, I think for a long time, sort of throughout my journalism career, I've never really felt like I could, like I was able to be myself completely. You know, you'd be on a desk because I worked for a long time on the sports desk um, mm-hmm. as a sub editor. And, you know, that is, that is invariably a very masculine environment. You know, it's, it's almost it's quite reflective of the industry of the sports industry. You know, it tends to be men in their 30s or 40s and or, you know slightly older than that and some of whom are from a sort of a, a previous generation where you can make certain jokes about about gay players or whatever um and you know that that does affect you and it, so it affected me in that I never felt I could quite express myself and never felt I could quite fulfill my not fulfill my potential but never quite be myself in the newsroom I think and it's only now and I'm 35 it's only now that I've got to that stage where I really feel, you know, that I can, I can be myself and sort of, you know, um, sort of just not, not really care what people think or what people say. And when you were working uh, on the sports desk, were, were you out at work at that stage? Sorry, how do you mean? Well, did your colleagues know, for example, that you were gay? Oh, when I was, was I out? No, no, I wasn't. No. So um, it's, it's in none of the jobs I've had, have I actually, uh, come out at work or, or told um, one of my colleagues that, that, I, that I'm gay. Um, there was one guy I worked with uh, at the Telegraph and we, we got quite close. We were quite good friends. And I, and I told him he left and I told him subsequently um, and he was absolutely fine with it. But, it, you know, it's, you know, whether this is my, uh, my hang up or I don't know, but it, I, I find you can't really drop it into conversation uh, on the sports says I've never thought that that was when is the right time to kind of say that I, I don't know it's um I suppose I would say the moment never really came up and when I say it's not an inclusive environment what I mean is that I, I never felt welcomed to, to, to kind of talk about it and um, did you ever go so far or, or do you still go so far as as opposed to actually being open about your sexuality, do you ever go so far as to sort of be a bit cryptic or to perhaps mislead in, in some of your arts in terms of when people say, what did you get up to the weekend and things like that? Do you ever sort of adapt the narrative to mm. not reveal you out maybe at a gay bar or something like that? <laughs> I, I, what I had quite a few times was I would talk about, you know, something like Valentine's Day. You know, I remember having a conversation before that and about what I was doing for Valentine's Day. And the, my colleague said, oh, so are you out with your girlfriend? And I, I sort of froze and I just kind of went, oh, yeah, yeah, we are, yeah. You know, because I, I, I felt like I didn't want to put him on the spot by saying, actually, I think you mean boyfriend. And I, I was afraid of that sort of awkwardness on his part, which is ridiculous because, you know, no one should feel pressure to 
you know, to, to impress it in that way. So you, I think now I'd be more willing to actually correct them. I think it was just, you know, sort of nervousness on my part and uh, sort of a bit of a, um, I don't know, a sort of an awkwardness that I felt. You, you said a moment ago when you were sort of talking about coming out and you described it as being a tiny moment in your life. Does that mean that your coming out experience was a fairly smooth, straightforward one or? No, 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 it's quite the opposite. It was a, it was a really tr- quite a traumatic experience actually. Um, but what I mean is um, in my mind, once I did it, it was done. And, you know, once I did it, people I told they could either, accept it or not accept it but that was up to them once i told someone i'm once i told someone i'm gay you know that's up to them how they react to it you know um i can't change them i don't want i, I don't want to affect what they think but uh, i just mean that for me particularly now um i don't know maybe it's a series of tiny moments you know, because you're constantly constantly coming out i don't know if that yeah. makes sense yeah no that, that, that absolutely does make sense and it's a theme that's been consistent with a few people i've spoken to about how mm. people talk about coming out as though it's a one-off experience. And yeah. in fact, coming out is a lifelong experience because every new environment, every new job, every new social yeah. situation, you, you, uh, you don't have to, but you know, it involves coming out yeah. you know, time and time again. And I think it obviously it gets easier um, for most people. Yeah. But not and, and uh, you know, it's interesting because at the Telegraph, they do, as I say, they do, they are, they do have an LGBT group and they do have quite a strong LGBT reputation, but you're sort of invited to join these groups. And, you know, the onus is very much on you to go to them and which will quite often involve walking into a room full of strangers or work colleagues that you've never spoken to as, as, a, as a gay man. Now that can be quite daunting. And I found it daunting to the point where I didn't do it. So I suppose, you know, somebody would say, well, you've got these groups, why don't you join them why don't you you know go and meet like-minded people but if you're quite introverted like I am you that's a very daunting experience um so I think there needs to be some way in which certain organizations can just be genuinely welcoming rather than gesturing yeah no I follow that completely so can we um can I take you back a bit then um when do you um think you first acknowledged yourself that you were or might be gay <laughs> when I was about I would say seven years old right and I had a, a huge crush on one of the lifeguards in Baywatch <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think his name was Billy in Baywatch and I remember being absolutely infatuated with him <laughs> this, would have, this would have been like the early 90s so I would have been about seven or eight years old but obviously at that age you don't think of it as gay you just think oh you know he's pretty and then uh i think and then i think it was just always i just always knew it you know but i I didn't put any thought into it until i was you know well into my teens yeah i think that um quite a lot of people have similar experiences of kind of recognizing perhaps not at the time but now they look back about how they maybe idolize certain people they saw on television and I know mm. for my part, I would, you know, I, I would do that. And I would always put it down to the fact that I was just in awe of their, you know, the way they looked or the way they dressed, yeah. or how cool they were. I didn't at that stage kind of make the connection. Yeah. Um, that was a sort of physical attraction that I was experiencing. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think that's uncommon. So that's when you kind of first start to realise it. Yeah. So uh, what was the, who was the first person you came out to? 
Um, one of my friends, a long time later, it was um, when I, I had a job in retail when I was about 20, I think. And uh, there was a, a guy joined the team and I, I sort of had a massive crush on him. And, and my one of my best friends, a girl, she also had a crush on him. And she and I remember telling her that, oh, I really, really fancy this person at work. And she assumed it was a girl. And then when I told her it was a, a, um, a boy, she, she sort of, I mean, she was delighted. She loved it. <laughs> so many women do, <laughs> having a gay best friend. Um, and about, also, one thing I did do was I told her I was bi, which, um, which I know a lot of gay guys do as well. It seems to soften the blow sometimes by saying that you're bi. And then you can kind of gradually, you know, actually, I'm not bi. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people do that because yeah. I mean I, I didn't do that, but I mean I know, I've spoken to a lot of people who have, and I don't know whether it's your experience, but people I've spoken to sort of, as you say, kind of softened it in the, in the extent that people tend to be sort of more relaxed about someone being bi rather than being gay. It's sort of yeah, it's, yeah, it's, definitely. I mean, I spent a good maybe a year or so at work, I sort of saying that I was bisexual. Um, yeah, and then I think a lot of the time I just let people work it out for themselves. You know, it's been very rare actually in my life that I've said the words to someone I'm gay. You know, it's 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 often been sort of, you know, I kind of just made it obvious. You know, made it obvious to them and let them sort of fill in the blanks. And as you sort of went through your teenage years, I mean, you say that was sort of age twenty, but as you went through your teenage years, were there looking back? occasions when you could have maybe come out earlier or did you ever think about were there other opportunities where you had contemplated telling somebody or or, or not um no I, I was always quite adamant to myself that I would come out when I wanted to and uh, you know I knew I was gay certainly you know all through my late teens uh I knew I was and I, I knew I'd have to deal with it at some deal with it at some point but I just yeah, I was quite adamant that I'll deal with it when I'm ready and not before I'm ready. Um, but I suppose I, I didn't know how my parents would take it. Um, so I think that, you know, possibly played a part in it as well. I'm an only child, so I think that played on my mind to some extent um, because that puts even more pressure on you. Uh, I say pressure, you know, I suppose that was what I was feeling. Um but yeah, then it got to the point where I was just, you know, just ready to to sort of to tell them. Um, I think being yeah. an only child is is um, particularly difficult for some people on in their coming out journeys. I mean, for me, for example, I was fortunate. You know, by the time I came out, my older brother was married with kids. You right. know, their grandchildren there. The you know, family yeah. name is going to continue. Um, yeah. you know, no, no, no one's too bothered then. If you know, if, if what yeah. I um, yeah. So I guess it made it a bit easier. What was your um, concern? No, I should ask, before I ask you about your parents, I just wanted to ask you about, yeah. so that late teen period where you sort of were coming to terms of being gay, how, how did you feel when you kind of acknowledged that you were gay? Was that, were you happy about that? I mean, what, what was your reaction? I was, I was actually honestly fine with it. I mean, yeah, it, it it never bothered me. I think maybe for sort of a few months when I was maybe 13 or 14, I think I, I remember it upsetting me a little bit, but I got over that really quickly and just decided that was who I was. Um, so I, it never really upset me or, or worried me. I don't think, um, I know after I came out, I went a little bit haywire sort of in hindsight, I, I 
you know, sort of very emotional for quite a long time afterwards. Uh, is that um, after what the first coming out initially, or after you told family, or? Well, after I sort of, I mean, I ended up coming out in a really like possibly the worst way you could actually come out was um, <laughs> was I told my parents, then ran off to the pub, um, and sort of let them <laughs> soak it all in, and then didn't go home for about two weeks. Um, which is, you know, if, if you're going to come out, don't do that. You know? um, so, how, how old were you, know, you when you when this happened? Then? Was this after you'd made the sort of disclosure to your work colleague? Uh, oh yeah, this was years later. So this is when I met my my ex partner. This was really late. This was when I was about 25. Right. So um, you know, mid 20s when I came out to my parents. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I can't remember. It was it was I think. I, I sort of, I'd met my partner and we decided that we were, you know, official and it was going to be a long-term thing. So there was one weekend, he decided, right, I'm going to tell, uh, I'm going to tell my mum, you can tell your parents, you know, it was a Saturday and Sunday and we just thought, right, we'll just get it out of the way. And his went swimmingly well and mine went uh, swimmingly badly. Um, had had yeah, you then, told, between sort of, you sort of telling your work colleague at 20, mm. had other people found out or had you told other people in that sort of peer between then and telling yeah. your parents? Yeah. So I told most of my friends, I think all of my friends, um, certainly the majority of them before I told my parents, um, which, which definitely made things easier because, you know, it meant when I ran away to the pub, I had friends to run away to. So that, that was, that was, that was helpful. Um, so it was a, it was a, it was, a, it was a, so really I, it was a coming out process of about five years. Really. <laughs> And the reaction of your friends that you sort of told, were they, yeah. uh, you know, was the reaction as you expected to be? Was it, was it good, bad? Generally, uh, absolutely fine. Um, a couple of them said that they, they knew, um, which was fine. We had a big laugh about it. Uh, one friend who now is not a friend and you know, we sort of gradually lost contact, but he refused to believe it. He sort of said, you know, you can't be gay. You like football, and you know, you we go to the pub and everything. He just could not get his head around it. Um, and you know, for that and a number of other reasons, we just sort of we just drifted apart. But that was the exception. Generally, people were were absolutely fine with it, which is which is you know, which was great. And I guess having come out to friends by that stage, did did you ever have to go through that phase, which I know I certainly did, and and a few others did, where you had to kind of keep up a facade or a bit of ambiguity about your personal life. I and mean, I know, I know, kind of, you know, I went on dates mm. and like that, even though I knew I didn't fancy women, as absurd as that sounds, looking back. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. Did you have to do any of that sort of stuff? Um, certainly to my parents, I did. You know, my mum would sort of ask, you know, sort of make comments about girlfriends, whatever. And I would say, oh, yeah, there's a girl at uni who I'm, I don't know, chatting to or whatever. It was never anything remotely sort of, serious but yeah I, I would drop in little comments here and there and you know there'd be times where I'd go off to GAY bar or GAY late or something and the next day I'll tell my parents oh we're just at the pub you know but um it never bothered me really I, just, I was at the point of view it was my business and, and no one else's business so yeah and in terms of the sort of the reluctance or the sort of delay in telling your parents deep mm. down did you kind of ultimately know how it was going to go or did you have genuine concerns about what their reaction might be? I had no idea. I thought that they would actually be okay with it. I thought it would be a sort of a, 
you know, I'm gay. Oh, are you? Okay. Um, that's fine. But in the event, uh, I mean, also the other thing was that my, my, <laughs> my partner at the time and my best friends somehow convinced me that my parents already knew <laughs> they would, they would, they just sort of said, George, come on. It's obvious. They must know it'll be fine. So I sort of let them, I wouldn't say talk me into it, but certainly encourage me. And then it turned out my parents had no idea at all um, and sort of just did not know how to react. And my mum was very upset for, you know, probably for a few weeks. Um, now she's absolutely fine. Now she's, you know, she loves it, but but she was just shocked by it. Um, and my dad, you know, likewise. And so the immediate reaction upon sort of announcing it before you dash off the pub, what, what was the immediate response? Just, I, I remember my mum saying she just couldn't believe it. And she she just kept on saying, I, I just, I can't believe it. You know, you, you can't be gay. You know, you, it, she really was genuinely shocked. And uh, I'm sure she said something about um, it, it's against God or against religion or something. To which my answer, to which my answer was, you know, you, you haven't been to church since 1967. It's a bit rich for you to be saying this is against God. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, and I think part of the, part of the reason I stayed away was actually to let them deal with it. You know, um, I think it wasn't, wasn't purely me running away. It was also, I knew that she needed to process it. Um, and she did actually. And, you know, I think to her credit, she, she really thought about it, uh, uh, and came to the realization that actually it didn't change anything. I mean, I was still, I'm still the same person, you know, um, she might still have grandkids, you know, the, the, I think her, her, her instant reaction was, oh, my God, he's never going to find anyone. He's going to be alone. I'm never going to have grandkids. This is awful. And when she realized that none of that was true, you know, then I think she, she rationalized it and she was, she was okay. I think that speaking to uh, lots of friends, certainly um, of my age group anyway, I, I think that's a very common response from parents. That they that that's really? that, yeah, I think that's that's a very common immediate thought about, you know, you're not gonna have kids, you know, you're not yeah. gonna you're not gonna be able to have a relationship and your life's not gonna be the happy one I thought you were gonna have. Yes. And I and I that's think it, exactly, yeah. I think that kind yeah. of stems from I think it just stems really from the era in which they were living yeah. when they were younger and the attitude and, and, and sort of the attitude towards sort of being, you know, LGBT, you know, yeah. in the sixties, seventies and eighties and nineties and the negative things that went uh, along with that. Yeah. Um, and because they've yeah. never, had, never had to confront it themselves, because it wasn't an issue for them. You know, they haven't had to challenge those sort of those stereotypes yeah. that they'd been perhaps, um, yeah. you know, come to believe in. And, uh, you know, thankfully your, your sort of mum, did as a, I think most people's mums do, which is they ultimately sort of come round and, and don't have an issue with yeah. it. What about? Abs- yeah. Sorry, yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say, it's interesting. My mum, she grew up in a village in Ireland uh, in the in the the 50s and the 60s, you know, and a, a real small parochial village where, you know, if there was anybody remotely different, they were mocked and, you know, they were figures of fun. And, um, you know, until about 20 years ago, there was a, um, a very openly gay man in the village uh, he was quite literally the only gay in the village. You know, this is a very small village of about maybe a hundred people. Um, and he was this really flamboyant, or I should say is this really flamboyant guy, a really great guy, but he was, he was mocked um, mercilessly, you know, for years by, by, by people in the village. 
Um, so that was that was the sort of the environment that my mum, I think, came from. So that's why it was difficult for her. Yeah, and you know, that, I think my parents had the same sort of experience, really. That you know, gay yeah. people sort of um, you know, seventeen eighties were sort of often the object of ridicule. Um, and um, yeah, I, you know, as I say, I don't think that's a particularly unusual response from from parents. Yeah. But what, what about your your dad? Did he react any differently? Did it, or no, my dad has been oh, sort of the difficult one really ever since because he he has never really spoken about it um, and we've never really spoken about it. Um, when, you know, when I told him, I don't really remember his reaction. He said very little and he sort of accepted it and he made it clear that he accepted it. But um, he was never particularly sort of reassuring about it and that's just his nature. He's He's his mum was very similar sort of she, his mum had that sort of Victorian reserve and my dad to some extent has that. So, you know, he's, uh, he's always been a bit kind of not, not talking about it, um, which isn't ideal, but uh, I just sort of accept that for, for who he is really. How did they react? Uh, I, I'm assuming at some point they met a, a partner yeah partner how how did that go when they met him uh it went very well i think they 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 i say very well they treated him i think like he was my best friend i think they found it easier to cope with initially if they didn't think of us as a couple and they just thought of us as as good friends and i think that that changed over time but their way of processing it was i think yeah to treat us like friends rather than you know, rather rather than as a couple. Um, and I think, you know, I, I sort of, I mentioned that I sort of went off the rails a bit. I think I definitely, something happened after the, after coming out for about six months where I was just all over the place emotionally. And I don't know how much of that was to do with my parents' reaction uh, or, and just the stress it caused me. But I remember being, doing things very out of character um, for, for quite a long time, years afterwards, actually. Um, really, and when you yeah. say sort of doing things out of character, what, what sort of stuff are we talking about? Well, I, would, I mean, I would, I would, you know, lose my temper very easily. Um, you know, I, I'd get very upset at things. I remember there were t- two or three times where I would shout at people in public for you know really minor things, um, which just isn't me, you know. And but I, I went through that period. I think I was almost. I think there obviously was some anger there in me, and I would think I was taking it out in other ways, you know, on other people. And I remember at one point my boyfriend said, you know, I haven't seen you smile for sort of six months. Um, you know, which, which, which looking back, it, I think it was quite a, quite a difficult time. And I think it probably impacted on the relationship to some extent as well. Um, uh, you know, because his, when he told his uh, mum, she, she was absolutely fine. So it was, it was quite different experiences that we both had of coming out. Well, what, what, looking back now, what, what do you think was the sort of source of that anger? What was, making you feel like that um i i honestly don't know actually i think i think probably resentment towards them for just making it an issue i think i think in my mind i was i could come out as gay and then just get on with it and be like well you know what's for dinner that kind of thing i I couldn't see why it was an issue for them and i still can't see why it's an issue for anyone if somebody is gay or, you know, bisexual, lesbian, transgender or whatever, 
I, it's, it's beyond my comprehension how it can be an issue. And I think that was in my mind for a long time was just this sort of, I couldn't get my head around how they couldn't understand it, you know, and, and made an issue out of it. Um, yeah. And now sort of 10 years on from, from that episode of coming out to your parents, I mean, do you, are you in a sort of good place at the moment? With them? Yeah. Generally? Yeah. With them, first of all. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, yeah, my mum particularly. My dad is is <laughs> my dad is just my dad. He's he's very level. You know, he just you don't get much emotionally out of him. Um, we don't have big emotional chats. Um, but my mum is extremely supportive. I went through a, a really bad breakup a couple of years ago, and she was you know she was great throughout that whole process. I know that I can talk to her about things. I know that when I meet someone else, she will be absolutely fine with it. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm. It's been a real 180 turn, um, particularly with my mum, and I think also with my dad. Except that we don't talk about it as much. And in in, I mean, you you've told me now about sort of the coming out to your friends, which is sounds as fairly uneventful and no sort of real yeah. negative reactions. And you've told me about your parents. Have there been any sort of occasions when you've come out to sort of friends or extended family where it's been difficult or has it all been relatively smooth sailing since then? It's been relatively smooth. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I think I'm the exception in that I've never really encountered serious homophobia in my life. Um, there's been little moments uh, at work, but there's, you know, all my friends reacted positively. You know, my mum and dad after the initial you know, bump, they, they've been fine. My extended family were actually brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I don't want to say I'm lucky because no one should experience it, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I suppose I'm happy that, um, you know, I've never really, I, I haven't gone through what some people go through, which is just complete rejection by friends and family, you know, and I, I can't imagine how, you know, how awful that is um, and how hard it is to deal with. I asked you, Moan, about, um, you know, were you in a good place with your parents? And I'm then going to ask you about whether you're in a good place generally. I, I know that because I've, I've listened to your interview you did on, on Times Radio recently, and I've read the article I think you did for The Telegraph recently yeah. as well. Um, and it sounds as though the last three years have been a pretty difficult time for you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a lot's happened in the last three years. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I... I Broke up with uh, with my with my partner in I think 2018 2017, and then um, developed a, a really plain gambling addiction. Um, I, I would say as a result of the trauma of that breakup, um, and that gambling addiction kind of took hold of me until uh, early 2019. Um, at which point I just decided I, I couldn't deal with that anymore. And, you know, I, since then it's been a, a gradual upward curve and, you know, now I've, I would say I've conquered that. So now I'm trying to help raise awareness of, of gambling addiction and uh, of the, um, I think of the, the, the damaging nature of the, uh, of the gambling industry and the, you know, how it, how it really is causing a lot of pain for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, try, try, I suppose trying to turn it into a positive. And um, I, I, I know that you, um, when we were sort of chatting online the other day, you sort of said to me that that in some ways it was almost like another coming out because presumably yeah. 
that was something which you had concealed from other people, was it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was much, much harder. It was a hundred times harder than coming out as gay, you know. Oh, really? Coming out as a, as a, as a yeah, a oh, hundred times harder. I mean, I, I, I don't know whether I've said it to you before, but when I, when I tweeted that article on medium.com, you know, my hand was shaking on the mouse, you know, as I tweeted it. And I, I was, I almost didn't tweet it. I just thought, you know, am I, am I really going to admit this, you know, that, that I am a recovering and gambling addict? Um, because there's, there's a hell of a lot of stigma with gambling addiction and a lot of, you deal with a lot of internal shame and you deal with a lot of real negative emotions. Um, so, you know, compared to coming out as gay, uh, yeah, it, it was a completely different experience. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's, it's no different to the experience some people had when they come out as gay, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to talk about, actually. No, I, I, I can imagine. And in fact, that's why when I messaged you um, the other day in, in advance of this evening, I sort of wanted to ask you whether or not mm. you know, this was a topic that was off limits because... No, no it's absolutely on limits, yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, I can imagine it is difficult to talk about and, and it must have taken quite a bit of courage, as you say, to take the steps of writing that article and then, you know, going on the radio and talking about it because it then becomes a very public matter. Yeah. Well, I think what really kind of drives it is I'm so angry at the gambling industry because they really exploit people and they, and they really genuinely do shamelessly exploit people. You know, they, they, as soon as I started gambling, as soon as I started regularly depositing money, you know, these casinos would hit me with text messages and emails and phone calls, um, giving me cash bonus offers, you know, treating you what, what they call a VIP as if, a, as if a gambling addict is a, a very, important person to them you know it's it's awful and it it feeds your addiction it makes your addiction worse uh and they accept no responsibility for it uh you know and it's it's it, it, i don't know it just it's a, it makes it a it's very very difficult to, to go through that and i and i've seen you know you've done a lot of sort of tweeting recently about the steps you've taken and 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 the steps you continue to take to try and make it more difficult for people to get stuck into the online gambling sort of yeah. mess that you kind of found yourself in. Um, so I suppose at least you're sort of trying to make a positive out of what happened. Yeah. Um, but this is the thing. There are things people can do to, to help themselves. You know, I mean, there's this term responsible gambling and the gambling industry has turned that into, you know, putting all the, the emphasis on the, on the, on the individual to gamble responsibly, but it's a two-way street. And the industry, I can't think of another industry which exploits people as uh, as extensively as the gambling industry, industry does. So there needs to be more, um, they need to be more answerable um, for, you know, to, for, 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 um, for the way they treat customers. And I suppose I, I should ask you, because for you, that experience of sort of, telling people about that was much more difficult than sort of coming out as gay. But um, the response of sort of family and friends to, to that revelation? They were very surprised. Um, and I had a, a, a huge amount of support from, from friends who had no idea. I mean, I think it was different to coming out as gay because my friends, a lot of them had some sort of inkling that I was gay, but none of them had any clue that I had a gambling addiction. You know, so I was I was getting messages from close friends saying, you know, George, I'm sorry, you know, I just I didn't know. Um, which my answer was, well, I didn't tell you. You know, gambling addicts 
keep it secret. They keep it buried uh, because of this sense of shame, I think, you know, and they, they end up blaming themselves and all this negativity goes inwards. And, it, and, you know, and it's why, you know, gambling addicts end up taking their own lives. You know, it's, it's really, it's, it's tragic that they end up blaming themselves. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was, that, I mean, it was for, for so many reasons, it was, it was much harder than coming out as gay. Um, George, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I've asked everybody that I've been interviewing. Um, sure. Um, and I don't think you'll find them particularly taxing. But the, the first one is, if you were to have your sort of time again, your opportunity to sort of come out again um, to sort of family and friends, would you do things differently? I probably wouldn't run straight off to the pub. I think that was the only thing that I would do differently. I wouldn't even, you know, the temptation is to say, yeah, I'd do it earlier. I'd do it when I was 17 or 18, but I don't think that's right because you could only do it when you feel comfortable. Um, and if that, if you're 17, 20, 50, 80, whatever, when you feel comfortable is the right time. Um, so no, I think that's the only thing I, I would have changed was if you're, if you're going to have that conversation with someone, I think um, just commit to it, you know, and, accept their reaction and I suppose not try to educate them, but, but just let them come to their own conclusions on it. Um, don't tell them and then run like I, like I did. And, and you kind of almost answered my other question, which is um, yes. what advice would you give to people who are sort of going through that process at the moment of coming to terms with their sexuality and, you know, wanting to come out to somebody? I mean, do, would you have any advice for anybody? Yeah, I mean, I would just say don't put pressure on yourself um, and just do it when you feel right. You know, don't do not do it because you feel that you have to or that, you know, it's expected of you. Uh, it's nobody's business but your own. Be, you know, be proud of it, but, you know, be proud of who you are. Um, and as long as you're proud of yourself, I think I think that's the most that's the most important thing, whether you're whether you're out or whether you're not out. And George, just one other topic. We, we've talked about your um, position at work in terms of um, people, whether or not they know you're gay. And you've already, yeah. already touched upon a bit about um, steps that have been taken by your employer. But what would you say to employers or even your own employer about how they could better make their workplace more welcoming for LGBT people? Well, I think they, think they, I think they need to think about why they're doing it. They need to be doing it because they want to be a welcoming work environment for LGBTQ plus people, not because, you know, they're fulfilling a quota or they, 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 they need to be seen to be doing it. There has to be a genuine wish to be a certain sort of workplace, which is a genuinely welcoming environment. And I, I you know, in my experience, it's, 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 there are very few places like that. And that's not to criticize the people who, you know, who, who are trying, but, it, you know, I think it's a it's a, something which they don't give enough thought to. And do do you think that um, as a gay person in a workplace where you don't necessarily feel that as much is being done, or it's not being done the way that perhaps could best be done? Do do you feel any mm. sort of sense of duty or obligation to try and get involved or try and give them some advice or set them on the right path? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I do, and I, yeah, I mean, I have tried to go down that route and have never felt massively comfortable with it because I feel like I'm making a show of my sexuality 
and that doesn't quite sit well with me um i don't know how that sounds to say it but, but that is that is how i feel i don't I, you can be inclusive i don't know i, I suppose i, I, I sorry go on. I, I, no what, what i was going to say was that i think i understand what you're saying which is they the way i'm interpreting what you're saying is big organizations should be able to make themselves more welcoming to the lgbtq plus community without putting the onus upon the employees to have to do that i mean i, I think yeah, it, yes it should be a given that yeah they create that exactly yeah exactly like i mean there was a campaign last year at the telegraph um where they had posters up on the wall with pictures of lgbt staff um which which is you know lovely and everything but it, it did look a little bit like you know a bunch of wanted posters on on, on you know sort of on on toilet walls and everything and i i I just don't feel that's quite the right way of doing it. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, genuine inclusive, inclusivity is us not having to do this. You know, it is immediately feeling comfortable in the place of work. We shouldn't be in 2020 and still having a group of LGBT people, you know, sort of shouting it from the rooftops, you know, that we need acceptance. Uh, it just, it all feels a bit ridiculous. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please rate, review and subscribe and get in touch with us via Twitter or Instagram or through the website.